We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. You're listening to Kilkenny Today with Maurice O'Connor on Community Radio, KilkennyCity.ie. Text us on 086 353 And welcome and good afternoon to today's Kilkenny Today with myself, Maurice O'Connor, of course, here with you until six o'clock when we'll have the Angeles Community Diary and then Offside Soccer to take you on into the earlier part of the evening. Going to leave aside the theme music for today. Uh, I suppose there were quite a long sports news and a long series of uh, death announcements there. So we thought we'd just save ourselves a wee bit of time and do without the theme tune. So I hope I'm not taking you all by surprise there without the bit of music to lead into today's show. Anyway, uh, later on in the show, towards the end of the show, of course, um, leaving certs and calculated grades and the results and the anticipation of CAO is probably on everybody's lips who's involved in any, with anybody in family or friends to do with uh, who have just sat the leaving cert either this year or indeed in previous years. And in relation to previous years, we're going to be hearing from Sinn Féin TD uh, Rose Garvey Walsh from Mayo, who's the spokesperson on higher education, research, innovation, and science. And she'll be joining me to talk about the impact or potential impacts on um, previous years leaving cert students of uh, trying to resubmit their points for this year uh, when they're compared with the grade inflation that seems to have taken place uh, through the calculated grade process that's happened this year. So that's later on towards the end of the show. Um, in the middle of the show uh, we will be bringing back Parish News. Of course you, if you were listening to Kilkenny today yesterday you'll have heard it's back. Um, we'll be bringing you Parish News item today in around the usual time we have been doing before the pandemic and the lockdown and all that started and the church is closed. Um, just after that we'll be hearing from the Chief Executive Officer of an amazing um, social enterprise and charity called Food Cloud, and that's Isolt Ward. And it's about a new program, uh, an initiative they're um, launching or just have launched last week called Food for Ireland. So we'll be hearing uh, about that as well. A couple of ad breaks, of course. Uh, but to start off with, I wanted to go back to an item I was trying to bring to you last Friday, um, although we had a lot of technical issues, so we had to abandon it in mid, well, not even in midstream at a very early stage. Um, I was hoping at the time um, to talk to uh, members of the Kilkenny Welcome Team and their coordinator from Kilkenny County Council Grace Quinn. Um, so this time I did actually take the opportunity this morning to have a chat with all of them with Grace Quinn from the council with Trish Murphy, John Britton and Joe Shield. Uh, so here we go, let's take that. Okay, welcome to Community Radio Kilkenny City. We've got a big uh, team to interview here and it's all about the Kilkenny Welcome Team and we've got Grace Quinn, um, call you the Welcome Team Coordinator from Kilkenny County Council, Grace, from the Tourism Office and we're also joined by um, Welcome Team members Trish Murphy, Joe Shield, and John Britton. So you're very welcome, all of you, and thanks very much for joining us and particularly for your patience because I know we did try to do this uh, on the show last Friday. Um, can I kick off with you, Grace? Um, uh, what, just explain to us a little bit about why the setting up of the Welcome Team and why now uh, uh, as opposed to any other time? Good afternoon. Um, Kilkenny Welcome Team, well first of all this is a positive initiative aimed at supporting Kilkenny's tourism sector and why now? Well now because of COVID and the drastic impact it has had on the tourism sector, Kilkenny County Council needed to come up with something to support that sector. So the initiative that they came up with was the Kilkenny Welcome Team and it right. has been developed in association with Kilkenny Tourism and the Kilkenny Recovery Task Force. And is this is this something that's been long in the, the thinking then, Grace, or is it um, driven by perhaps a kind of a, a response from the council to the, the economic challenge to the city and the county that's arisen out of the COVID pandemic? 
Yes, it was a result of, of COVID and basically having to think outside of the box and come with, up with something that would be new, innovative and would help the tourism sector. Mm. Is, this, is this a city scheme or a county-wide scheme, Grace? It's city. It's city because that's where the footfall is, Morris. And, um, you know, it's um, for the weekends, Friday, Saturday and Sunday, when we have tourists in the city here. And that's where the focus is at the moment. Right. Well, I hope we won't be getting complaints from our listeners around the county, but maybe if it's a roaring success, um, you might be under pressure to extend it to around the county. And I'm sure in the council, yeah, you probably give serious consideration to doing that. Um, the, the, the members of the, the welcome team, Grace, um, and we'll, we'll talk to a few of them now in a minute. Um, what are they expected to do? Are, are, they, are they expected to be experts on all that Kilkenny City has to offer? Not at all. I suppose, first of all, their role is to welcome people to Kilkenny and basically to help them with information that they need. You know, the most asked question simply is where is the um, nearest ATM, pharmacy, and then they ask about tourist um, activities or attractions. So it's a mixture, but they certainly are not expected to be experts. But obviously having a good local knowledge um, is important. Hmm. Right, so just moving on to the, the, some of the welcome team members, and as I said, we have um, Trish Murphy, Joe Shield, and uh, John Britton with us. Now, I know you'll probably be a bit, a bit of an expert, um, Trish, because you're involved in the hospitality sector anyway, working as you do up in the Spring Hill Court Hotel. But just for, for any, any one of the three of you, um, what was the attraction for becoming members of the welcome team? Oh, good afternoon and good afternoon to your listeners. I suppose I'm just to correct you, I'm actually the uh, in the Kilkenny River Court Hotel. Oh, the River Court, my apologies. No hassle at all. Yeah, we're here. Um, everybody probably knows where we are anyway. Oh, we do indeed. Great um, spot. I just work on a part time basis at the moment, and particularly with COVID, the hotel is closed um, and we're only back open since the end of June. So, and I'm back on a part time basis. So, I had the time. My kids are, they're not older, but that they, they, they can stay on their own for a few hours, put it that way. And I felt like I had a couple of hours and I wanted to give back. And that's mm. where Grace approached me and I only jumped at it. I was delighted. What about you then, Joe? Joe Shield? Yeah, the, uh, I love promoting Kitty and have some time on my hands. So it's a, a little uh, saunter down to Kilkenny every Friday. I live in Dublin. But anything to do with promoting Kilkenny, I absolutely adore to do. And I just jumped at this uh, ambassador thing because I think it's a fantastic idea. And I think there's a huge, huge um, future in it. How about you, John? What was the motivation for getting involved? Yeah, again, I have a tourism background as well. Um, I have a diploma in hotel management and, work, and I've worked in hospitality for 20 odd years. Um, last year as well, I set up my own tour guiding company in, in Kilkenny. So this year it, it's quiet for me um, because just with my tour guiding, it's predominantly overseas visitors. Um, so so I just wanted to help out while, while I can. Um, like it, It's a tough time for tourism. Mm -hmm. Very, very. But um, yeah, you'd feel it more than your, I suppose yourself and Trish being involved in that uh, day to day would feel it very much um, in, in both of your activities. 
Um, so it, the, the scheme has been up and running for a while anyway, I think since uh, one of the more recent uh, bank holiday weekends. So Annie, you, you, I presume uh, Joe and Trish and John, you've all been out on the streets wearing the orange uh, gear and uh, uh, seeing what's, what's happening. Any interesting anecdotes or experiences that you've had to date? What's been a kind of a typical experience? Yeah. Uh, I suppose with me, I've done it. I done it throughout the whole month of, of uh, August, and I my rota we'll say was a Friday morning, Morris. So mm. it wasn't perhaps as busy as a Saturday and Sunday. Traditionally, they're the busy times. But I, my my buddy I partnered with was Morris uh, Mart Crotty. Um, what we found that the the market was a huge hit. Was it? The, the market on the parade very oh, popular okay. yeah, yeah. gallery received a huge welcome as well yeah. Kilkenny Castle still tops it's just amazing we met an awful lot of families an awful lot of kids um, and a lot of bars and restaurants a lot wanted to know where to eat where to eat where to eat and where was kids friendly as well that was hugely popular yeah and is that the same with yourselves Joe or John anything that yeah the unusual? same thing yeah, it's very, um, a lot of Irish families coming in every Friday afternoon, so they're looking for everything and anything, where to go. I've done one couple there, and we were, they were looking for something like a, a petting farm, like the Bennett's Bridge one, and that was very, uh, that's something that I didn't even know myself was there. But uh, those, like, those type of things, not the, the usual things, of course, yeah, castle, canises, all that sort of stuff, but the quirky things as well we're looking for. Yeah, exactly the same and with you, John. You know, I'm, I'm, I just let you know that I'm originally from Johnstown, actually, so I'm uh, born and bred Clickenyman. Have you had anything interesting or any interesting encounters with visitors, John? Not really, just I remember that the first time we went out and we were there like only a minute and someone had come up asking where they could get a point. Uh, without having to buy food at like 11 in the morning. You have to be careful answering that one, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just say, look, it's breakfast time. You can't. You know? <laughs> yeah. You, you can't really... Um, yeah, but the questions, they usually are just, you know, where's a good place to get a cup of coffee? Where's a good place um, maybe for lunch? Where's, yeah. um, you know, maybe information about the castle, that, that kind of thing. It, I've not had anything kind of majorly off the ball. Yeah, yeah. I suppose Grace and um, Quinn just coming back to you, Grace. Like those kind of questions um, do require a certain amount of of knowledge to be able to answer quickly and give uh, visitors useful information. And do do the the volunteers then for the welcome team do they get much training and insights into maybe places that they're not very familiar with? Yes, actually, as part of the tra training process, they have COVID training, and then I suppose a tourism element, and they get a training manual that gives them information in relation to all the activities, all the different sectors like the food and drink, restaurants, so they become familiar with them because they may not have been aware of just how much we have to offer. Um, we also tell them to refer to the Visical Kenny website, which has all the current and up-to-date information. So yes, everything is covered under the training program, um, you know, and they're, they've got the training manual to take away with them, which mm. they can use as a reference. Hmm. I assume, Grace, that the scheme is going to continue on and not just um, you know, stop, given that we're now reaching, I suppose, the shoulder period of the typical tourism season, although this year hasn't been at all typical. Um, are, you, are you still looking for more volunteers or have you got enough for the moment? 
We have 20 volunteers at the moment um, covering Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And there's two shifts, 11 to 2 and 2 to 5. But yes, certainly we would love to have some more volunteers because not everybody is available, you know, every weekend. So mm. certainly if people were interested, um, if they're over 20, if they have a good local knowledge, they have some free time on their hands, we would certainly love to hear from them. Okay, and I presume you you will give them the training and uh, and yeah, get, get them up and running. And it 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 sounds yes. I think from something um, Joe or John said earlier that um, you you do go out as there's a kind of buddy system in place. So you're not out, nobody's out on their own. But the same no, things. nobody's allowed to go on yeah. their own. You have to partner up with somebody. And um, you know it's a good way for people to meet other people as well. And you know I think everybody has made new friends also. And if any of the listeners would like to volunteer, how do, who do they get in touch with her? Basically, if they're interested, they can register their interest by sending me an email. And the email address is grace.quinn at kilkennycoco.ie. And then I will send them on an application form for completion. Then I'll follow up with an informal um, telephone call and we'll take it from there. We can organize training and um, then get their manual and branded clothing Hmm. and get them out and about as part of the welcome team. Great. Um, one last question then for, for each of your the, the welcome team members. And we have um, Trish Murphy, Joe Shield, and John Britton with us um, this afternoon to, to give us their insights and experiences on this. Uh, the obvious thing for each of you, what, what's your own favourite place in Kilkenny or thing to do? Let's start. Ladies first, Trish. Well, my first place is the terrace on the River Court Hotel. I would say that. You would have to say that, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I suppose I love the Castle Grounds. Uh, the simplicity of it, uh, this, uh, you know, you, you'll walk across and a hedgehog might just appear or a squirrel. I just, my, my favourite is the castle and the castle grounds, personally. Mm-hmm. How about you, John? Um, yeah, actually, the, the terrace on the river court is gorgeous on a sunny summer's day, if you can get a, if you can get a place on it. Yeah. Um, and equally, just, yeah, again, the castle, but I, I think just across from the castle, you have a hidden gem in the Butler Gallery or the Butler um, House Gardens. There, you know yeah. that that's just such a wonderful garden there. Indeed, it is probably is not not um, terribly well known that it's uh, open to the public and you can get in through the design yard or the estate yeah. yard. Yeah. What about yourself then, Joe? Where do you like to go to most when you come down by yourself? One thing that really intrigued me, and I could stay in it for three hours, was the new Butler Gallery, the, especially the military uh, room in it. It, like normally, military rooms commemorate things happened two hundred years ago, but this military room is commemorating the serving soldiers, people who are all be familiar to us, like Paul Murphy, whatever, etc., etc. And I think that's absolutely fantastic. Well recognised, dead right. Yeah, I'm actually, I'm, I'm looking really forward to the, what, what will come after that uh, display is the Wolf Walkers display, I think they're putting in there um, late, later on in the month or later on in the year, and I think that's going to be amazing. Yeah, should be, should yeah. be great. Look, it's been wonderful uh, talking to you all about, um, and hearing your enthusiasm, your joy at being a part of the uh, Kilkenny Welcome Team, and uh, thanks to you all for joining us, anyway, and thanks to you very much to yourself, Grace, for getting the, the, the welcome team members together to have the chat with us and uh, very best wishes for all of you for your different roles involved in all of us and thanks for joining us here in Community Radio Kilkenny City. 
And thanks indeed again to Grace and the crew there for uh, having the chat with me this morning. It was lovely to have the chat with them and uh, I apologise to them all for um, the tech problems we had last Friday. Anyway, let's take an ad break. We'll be back with you after these with the Parish News and then Isolt Ward, the Chief Executive Officer of Food Cloud. We are Community Radio, Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. You're listening to Kilkenny Today with Morris O'Connor on Community Radio Kilkenny City, 88.7 FM. And the Parish News coming back reminds me to say hello and good morning to everybody if you're listening on the repeat. Of course, uh, we'll, we'll have uh, station announcements and uh, good morning Kilkenny with Ger Donovan coming up after the 10 o'clock news. So good morning to you and hope you're having a good morning so far. Now, um, my next guest, and I'm delighted to have on the phone, is Ult Ward, who's the Chief Executive Officer of an amazing social enterprise, charity, business um, activity called Food Cloud. And uh, is Ult, I, I, I kind of, any time I kind of hear things about um, Food Cloud, I kind of marvel at how incredibly well you've connected up the dots around food waste, uh, carbon emissions and um, providing um, food, good food to people who are deprived of it. So first of all, congratulations on, on Food Cloud. I know it's been around for about seven years, but um, you, you guys are doing an amazing job. And uh, We wanted to talk to you about some of the research you've recently done with um, the charities that you support around the country and uh, the outcomes of those. Yes, yeah, so um, in July we conducted research with our the network of community organisations and charities um, that we work with to really get an understanding of the needs that they were seeing in their community and what the drivers behind that need was and really how they anticipated this need um, to develop over the coming months. As everyone's aware, it has been a challenging few months um, for everybody with the COVID pandemic and for many this has led to challenges where they have struggled to uh, know where their next meal is going to come from. Um, so that was really what the kind of intention behind the survey was. And what we have seen is that over 70% of the organisations that we work with that responded have seen an increase in the need for food within their community. And this has been um, led by an increase in over 65 looking for food, uh, an increase in single parents, an increase in people with mental health concerns. Um, so it really does demonstrate the variety of challenges um, that COVID has created in our communities, but also the fact that there are many community organisations nationally who are really working hard to ensure that the needs of their communities are met. Mm. And it seems as if there, there's a multiplicity, not surprising, of causes for um, the, the difficulties people are experiencing sourcing uh, good food uh, since the pandemic started. Yes, we work with a very wide variety of organisations. Um, some that set up uh, in response to the increased needs um, in the communities that were really providing food um, directly to people's homes. Um, and then also organisations that they provide and um, that have always provided a variety of supports whether it's for people dealing with homelessness or addiction or whether it's people dealing with intellectual disabilities and um, we really do see a very wide range of organizations who also in addition to the core services provide food um, which obviously is an essential need that many people have and when you are faced with um, a lot of challenges knowing that you have the security of where your next meal is going to come from and that being provided by a community organisation um, can really provide an incredible support to people through challenging times. Mm -hmm. 
And I noticed that like over a third of people, you know, self-reported as saying that they they couldn't get an, enough or sufficient kind of food because of self-isolation resulting from the pandemic. And a similar proportion were talking about uh, it being as a result of closures of schools. So hopefully that will mitigate a wee bit now with uh, the schools being open, but it doesn't take away um, the problem. Um, so I, I presume then that, that this kind of research and the, the messages you got from that research are really behind the launch of this programme, Food for Ireland. So you might tell, just tell us about that for a moment. Yes, so in um, in March as the pandemic first hit um, and as an organisation with uh, infrastructure to distribute food nationally and a great network of organisations uh, nationally that we work with, um, we did recognise the um, ability or the responsibility that we really had to um, meet the needs and the growing need in our communities and we saw a great response from the food industry and um, we actually managed to double the amount of food that we were distributing from March to June in comparison to say January and February earlier in this year um, but as um, after June we did see the volumes of food coming through our hubs fall um, and we did recognise that the need was still there so that was what led us to the research and now knowing that you know that there are a lot of community organisations who are still dealing with this increase in demand for food and also have concerns about um, when payments, the COVID payments are reduced that there will be an increased need again if there are any localised restrictions um, with the rising cases that there could be concerns of the need increasing again so what we've launched with Food for Ireland um, in partnership with our retail partners Tesco, Aldi, Lidl and Euros um, is a campaign that gives everybody uh, who can the opportunity to donate you know, one food item or several food items uh, from the 17th to the 20th of September in over 400 supermarkets across the country. Mm. And this food then will be um, brought to our hubs and distributed in the following weeks to our network of organisations nationally. And really it means that you know, we will uh, we will be confident that we will have the supply to meet the need over the coming weeks, particularly as we approach winter months, um, and that our organisations will be well placed to step in and support people um, when they really need it. Yeah, and uh, you, you did mention your partners there, um, Aldi, Little, Tesco, and Eurospar, in whatever order. Um, when when I saw that on your website, it made me wonder. Well, what about the others, the likes of the Duns, the Centres, the Super Values, and some of the other um, maybe smaller tiered um, retailers and uh, food outlets? Um, are you working on trying to get them on board as well? So we do have a relationship with the other retailers as well. They do um, donate surplus food um, from their stores and often from their distribution centres to... They weren't in a position to participate in this particular um, campaign where, you know, there's kind of an in-store food appeal, but we do have uh, close relationships with them again. Mm. So I presume you'd, you'd build on, on those cause, and I'm sure they'd, uh, it's the kind of thing that they'd nearly be embarrassed into being left behind and they'd, uh, they'd want to be seen to join in from the, their corporate social responsibility point of view, I'd assume. Um, and then uh, you, you do get food waste and you did quote some statistics, I think I saw as well, that there's up to 33% of food is wasted and it, re- it, it accounts for 8% of CO2 emissions and while at the same time, this is globally, I think, while at the same time there's 820 million people um, who are hungry at any one time. Um, is it just the retailers um, result or do, do you also get food donations from... Um, you know, direct producers or processors of food? We do. So um, 
through our three um, hubs, our three warehouses, so we've got a hub in Dublin, one in Galway and one in Cork. And through those, we take larger quantities of surplus food that becomes available further up the food supply chain. So working with uh, at a farm level with producers, manufacturers, uh, distribution centres, we can rescue and distribute very large quantities of food. And then we also, through our technology solution, connect organisations directly to their local, local supermarkets. So that on a daily basis when surplus uh, good edible surplus food does arise in a supermarket for a variety of reasons and um, that a local organization is notified and able to collect that food directly from the store so between the warehousing solution and the technology solution our aim is really to have a solution for any organization along the supply chain to donate their surplus food and ensure that that food can then in turn and um, support their communities yeah, and in terms then of where you might go generally with Food Cloud and with the Food for Ireland program specifically, like what's what's the ambition? What's the dream? So we're aiming to uh, reach over two hundred and fifty thousand meals um, through this, and that means that alongside the surplus food that we are already receiving and distributing, we are hoping to be able to meet the needs of our community organisations in the subsequent weeks following the campaign. We do know that the type of food that we're looking for from the Food for Ireland campaign, and um, tins of beans, pasta, rice those kind of dry essential food items um, because they are non-perishable items they don't um, appear as surplus food as frequently as they perishable items but they're still very essential food items um, for people so we through this campaign it means that we know we will have a consistent supply of those essential food products over the coming weeks um, and we'll be able to supplement that with our existing supply of surplus food and perishable food products So you do actually deal with perishables as well? Yes, we do. So perishable often arises through, um, or perishable food often becomes surplus um, because of the fresh nature of the foods. Um, so we do uh, distribute that type of food as well to our organisations that we work with. Mm, that's that's amazing. I, I must say, I'm kind of constantly amazed by the the job and the idea. I know it happened a long time ago that you were able to connect so many dots and apply. To, I presume a good bit of technology as well to help with uh, the, the sourcing and the distribution and the linkages all of the uh, between all of those um, sources and uh, eventual destinations for the food. Yes, it's. Um you know, I think for nobody really likes seeing food going to waste and um, I think everybody wants to be able to help their community. So really when we went to approach the food industry initially and approached the non-profit sector um, to pitch our solution, um, you know, immediately we were able to get a lot of buy-in and a lot of people wanted to really see this work. So, you know, it wouldn't really be possible to do this if we didn't have many uh, food businesses, charities and other supporters uh, helping us uh, achieve this. So, you know, we're connecting the dots, but there was, they are all really making this happen yeah. as well. So back to the the donation thing, a uh, programme then be between the 17th and the 20th of September result. Um, people like myself going shopping into the local supermarket, will we just see a big box in, in the corner somewhere near the checkout or how will it, how will it be visible? Yeah, so as shopping, um, there'll be uh, a list of food items that are the kind of recommended food items to donate. And as you're doing your shopping, if you pick up one or a few additional food items, and then as you're leaving the store, there'll be a trolley or a box um, as you're leaving the store where you'll be able to place those items. They then will be brought back to our warehouses in the following weeks and sorted and packed 
by um, a lot of volunteers who will be working with us and then that food will be distributed out to our network of charities so it's super easy to get involved and whether you can you know contribute by one tin of beans or whether you can contribute um, several food items you know every every item will really make a difference to somebody. And people can find out more, I presume, from uh, Facebook or the website foodcloud.ie, I think it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I think we'll, uh, we'll very, very much look forward to seeing um, the Food Cloud presence in the supermarkets on between those days of the 17th to the 20th. I hope it's a great, enormous success for you all and uh, best wishes to yourself and all your colleagues, indeed, in, in Food Cloud. As I said, you're doing an amazing job. Thanks a million for joining us, Isolt. Thank you very much for having us on. You're very welcome. Thanks a million uh, to Isolt uh, Ward there, who's the founder of Food Cloud, the uh, great charity and social enterprise that's uh, sourcing food and distributing it and uh, working with retailers and producers and all sorts and uh, local charities and everything. So the 17th to the 20th of September, keep an eye out in the supermarkets for the Food Cloud presence. And uh, if you can, see your way to donate something non-perishable. I'm sure they'd be extremely grateful for that. We'll take another ad break now and we'll be back with uh, Rose Gar- Conway Walsh, uh, Sinn Féin TD and spokesperson on higher education, research, innovation and science. Text us on 086 353 We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM. You're listening to Kilkenny Today with Morris O'Connor. Welcome back to today's show and thanks very much for staying with us. Uh, text number 086-353-7782 as usual, of course. Now, I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the Sinn Féin spokesperson on higher education, research, innovation and science, um, which is quite a mouthful, but she's not responsible for that. Rose Conway-Walsh, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, um, Maura. Welcome to the show. It is quite a title, Thank isn't you. it? Uh, quite a long uh, and winding kind of departmental title. But as mm-hmm. I said, uh, you're not responsible for that side of things. No. Um, Rose, uh, before we get into the, the kind of meat of the discussion, I suppose it is to do with, and I mentioned at the start of the show, to do with the, the outcome of Leaving Cert and in particular issues arising from comparison between this year and the calculated grades and previous years. Um, have you anybody in, in the, the family or the extended family just done the Leaving Cert themselves or did it last year? I do, actually. This year, my, my eldest son, Anthony, who's 19, um, he was one of the class of, of 2020. So I know exactly what it's been like in all of the households since March, since they suddenly, when COVID hit and they suddenly there was no, um, so it was just after the mocks, indeed it wasn't far mm. after the election, and uh, then suddenly there was no school. Yeah. And that threw everything into disarray and then not knowing whether they'd be going back, when they'd be going back, whether they were to be going to sit a leave insert or whether it wasn't going to happen. And right up, obviously, until um, yesterday morning. So I seem to be more nervous than he was. Yeah, well, I think that's probably typically of typical of parents. Anyway, I do remember that from my own time with my own yeah. three. Um, I, I, we, we leave aside your son Anthony for the moment. I hope things mm. worked out well for him, and, and will do with, with, with whatever he chooses to, to do from here on in, whether he's waiting for Friday's CAO announcements or not. Yes. But I know on, on behalf of um, your your party, Sinn Fein, Rose, um, earlier on in the week, um, you did you did put out uh, kind of a statement saying that or accusing the government of completely ignoring past Leaving Cert students as they prepare to release the results, which of course happened um, yesterday. Uh, this is all really around the, the impact that, the, as it turns out, 4.4% average grade inflation may have on um, students who were holding over their points from last year and years before. 
It is, Morris. I'm really concerned about it. So in any given year, when we look at it, about 40% of um, of people who take up or apply for the CAO places are students who didn't do their Leaving Cert in that given year. So it can be people who deferred when travelling, whatever. People who maybe didn't get what they wanted to get in the Leaving Cert and they... Um, um, they did a further education course or they took a, a, a turn on the, on the pathway but are now ready to go to third level. So it's those, um, it's those students that I am really concerned about. And there's about 20,000 in all. Now, a number of them, probably about half of them, now probably not quite half, but, but nearly half of them uh, would be guaranteed places. So they would already have a commitment of a place in college. But then there's about eight to 10,000, um, it could be even up to 14,000 uh, people who haven't got the commitment um, of the places in the, from the CAO. And that's a real concern. And the reason it's a concern is because you have, we saw the 4.4% 4, 4 um, increase across the grades. Now, I take it that that's different in different subjects. So mm, say I art, for instance, so. was 7% and, and some of the others. Uh, could be lower, but that that the knock-on effect of that is likely to be that the um, points for uh, many of the CAO courses that come out on Friday are to be higher than they were last year. So for people in taking, say, somebody getting you know 500 points um, last year, um, with the hope of taking up a course where the five 500 points made them eligible for. This year, they may be out of that bracket, and yeah. that's a real, real concern. Yeah, and think, there's yeah. an awful lot of anxiety over it. Yeah, being being a numerate sort myself, I was just doing the sums on that. With the grade inflation, you could be looking at anything maybe up to uh, 13 points uh, if, you, if you're a student who had an expectation of around 30, 300 to start with, or... 16 mm. or thereabouts if you were at the 400 level or 22 points if you're up at 500 points level which is quite substantial I think in, in comparison to the typical margins that there are around um, CAO offers. Yeah it, it really it really is and it's caused an awful lot of, of anxiety you know one student that I've heard from and I've heard from lots of students all over the country but he is a student who uh, sat his leave insert last year and he secured 517 points but there was, he had to get some of his subjects reviewed and he then had them reviewed. But by the time they were reviewed and he got the results back, he was too late to get on the course that he wanted to get on. And now he is, in his own words, what he says, it's frankly a terrifying thought to think that the government would wait until Friday to see how the CAO offer play out. And I don't think that's good enough, and that's the brinkmanship that I'm talking about in terms of the government yeah. um, uh, playing that with the prior Leaving Cert students, because after all, Morris, we knew that this was an issue. I raised it in July. Um, I first became, I suppose, acutely aware of it when, when students started contacting me in June, and uh, they have had time to sort this out, and it's very, very unfair that we're into the last days and the last hours um, before um, these students know uh, what's ahead of them. Mm. And I presume that the, you, you and your, your party spokesperson role in this space would have contacts with um, the relevant government departments. So to, from your 
perception. Like, are you? Is it? Is it government in action? Is it government um, in decision, or is it kind of slow processes, decision making, and assessment processes around in the two? Well, now the two departments involved: the education and the the higher education, research, innovation, and science department. Where's Where's the the logjam, or where's the problem, or why Why do you think, in your sense, and your your understanding, why hasn't this been addressed? Considering it could have been quite readily anticipated. Mm, absolutely. I think it's a bit of the, the, you know, the spectator syndrome thing of, you know, looking at it without actually doing anything. Now, we, my, me and my, uh, my, I am my colleague, uh, Donna, Donna Holary, put forward um, three suggestions at how it might be tackled. Now, one of them was to set aside a number of places uh, for the prior leaving cert students on the most popular courses. The second one was adjusting the grades of the prior Leaving Cert students. Now, that's not adjusting their certificates, but for the purpose of being considered for CAO, if they were to take that 4.4% uh, grade inflation into account. And thirdly, then, it was to base the assessments on the actual CAO requirements uh, for the year that they sat their Leaving Cert. So we put forward those suggestions. Now, the Minister is saying that... Um, it, it, it wouldn't be legal to do so. So we have asked today for the minister to, uh, to publish that um, uh, legal advice that he is going on. Um, you know, if he had come out in June and said that and published the legal advice, <coughs> excuse me, Mark, um, then I would say something, but to be leaving it in the last days and saying that that's not legal without offering an alternative, Mm. It seems. I mean, I, I think it's difficult. Yeah, there may even no. be a fundamental question there: is was there even legal advice um, uh, asked well, for? I mean, there's always a, a temptation, I suppose, <laughs> to fall back and uh, trot out a, leg a potential legal reason without ever having uh, got one. Yeah. So you'd have to ask, I suppose, as well for the legal advice and see what that mm. said. Um, mm. I mean, it, it, so those three proposals that your party made and have put in the public domain, you know, to, to guarantee places to adjust the grades or, mm. or to base to see their, their, their assessment on um, the years they actually did the Leaving Cert and the points that were required for the courses and those um, the, the adjusting the grades one, you know, given, I, I assume that you, we mentioned a couple of figures, the 4.4% average, and you, you mentioned a 7% grade inflation in art. I presume there's enough granularity there across the, the grade inflation in every subject in the Leaving Cert um, exam uh, suite of subjects that uh, that uh, adjustment could relatively straightforwardly be done. I think it could be done, no more than the other one, I think, with the, the base, base, the assessments on the actual requirement. Now, they will say that the system isn't set up to do that. But we're in an extraordinary time, and surely to God we're not going to be imprisoned by systems that are there. We're talking about human beings, and we're talking about these young people who are under extreme stress, um, and, uh, and, and their families as well. So we have to be able to think outside the box, and we have to be able to get around systems. We can't be enslaved by, uh, by systems um, that have worked heretofore or being in place. Now, Morris, the Minister will say as well around the extra places that have been made available. So he'll say that there was over 5,000 new third-level places available. Some of them were bought in the time of the budget and at, at other times. And then in more recent days, um, the 1,250 extra places were announced. Now, I very much welcome those. But then we, I think this is a bit disingenuous because it doesn't tell the real story because by the Department of Education's own predictions, uh, 4,184 new places were needed this year 
um, to simply meet the increase in the demand. So that was predicted in the, the, the department's own report uh, back in 2018 when they were projecting for 2020. So to say we've given 5,000 extra space, extra places, uh, and this is going to sort the problem, I don't think... Um, yeah, I don't think is you know it's not telling the full story. So you'd be saying that really there's only around about eight hundred real new places created, um, and then the questions arise: well, where are they? In which institution, third level institutions, and where are those third level institutions consulted about this? Are they ready for that? And and, and yeah. all of that. It's still as but see as one as typical as often as it is the usual the way one question or one answer begs a whole series of other. Other questions, um, which which uh, I'm sure you'll be you'll be pursuing um, with the I relevant government. Well, just one uh, issue that I, I don't know the answer to. You can tell me straight away. Uh, which which of these two educational departments that we now have is um, in charge of the CAO? Rose, uh, well, it's, it's, it's funny because I suppose this week, and even in terms of myself and Donna Colary, because he spoke person for education, and I'm higher education, innovation, and science. So the CAO ones would be um, Simon Harris's department, the higher education one. Right. So he's coming into the doll um, tomorrow to answer some questions uh, on that. So I put a number of, uh, of questions mm. to him around that. Mm. I tried to get a topical issue on it. Um, so basically it's, it's his department. Mm. Um, and I know from working with Simon Harris that he is genuine in his intention to tackle things that need to be tackled at third level. But the proof of the pudding is in the eating yeah, and actions yeah. will speak louder than words Which, in terms um, of funding of third level education. Leads, leads, me very, leads me very neatly on to a final question for you, Rose. Um, are you confident that any, there'll be anything of a resolution of this issue or some announcement by government or through the CAO or whatever directly by Friday in around the time that the first round CAO offers are announced? I think there has to be. I really, Morris, could not contemplate a situation uh, where this isn't resolved uh, before Friday, uh, Monday at the latest, but I want to see it resolved before Friday. I just couldn't contemplate that um, we wouldn't have a level playing field for uh, 10,000 students. Mm, indeed. Um, well, hopefully hopefully something hopefully something sensible will emerge. And uh, thank you very much for joining us, Rose, um, on today's Kilkenny Today. I'm sorry we have to leave you there. We could have a much longer conversation indeed. about this. Thanks a million. Thank you very much. Good evening. So that was Rose Conway-Walsh, Sinn Féin TD from Mayo, um, talking about that issue, which of course we'll hear more about during the week. That's all we've time for on today's Kilkenny Today. I'm glad you were able to join us and I look forward to be back with you again on Friday. Do stay with us for the Angelus in a few seconds' time, the Community Diary and then Offside Soccer and indeed um, Burr and uh, uh, Jim, I'm sure we'll be chatting about lots of different things and all sorts of things, including highlight of my particular weekend being a 1-0 win for Freebooters over Leakslip United in the Leinster Junior Cup semi-final up there in Leakslip. Anyway, take care. I'll be back with you on Friday. We are Community Radio Kilkenny City 88.7 FM.